There's a story of a young boy, and he would come home from a friend's house and church and community group, and he would have extra things in his pockets. He would have little Legos from where he's been or little toys from where he's been, and this continued on for a little while, and the dad tells the story of this, and in that process, you're teaching your kids that actions have consequences, right? And um, mom and dad would continue to walk through this process Buddy, it's, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to take, and this continued to happen a number of times until one day, one morning, um, the dad found a, a little toy in his son's room and it wasn't his again. And so the dad said to the son, uh, all right, son, we're going to get in the car and we're going to go for a drive. And so the father and the son get in a car and go for the drive, and the son's thinking, fun, this is going to be a fun day. I thought I was going to be in trouble, but this is going to be a fun time. And so they continue to drive, and the son's asking, where are we going, Daddy? Where are we going? And so finally, we reach the, the, the father reaches this place, and he parks the car, and he asks the son some questions. And he says, son, do you see that building over there? Yeah, Dad, I see the building can you describe the building? Well, it's really big. Um, what's around that building? Well, there's this really large fence, and there's, it looks like there's some really um, stuff on top of that fence that wouldn't let somebody get in or, win, or, or get out. And, I, and he said, there's not any windows to this place. I said, well, what else? The, the, the father said, what else do you see? Well, outside this building, I see a lot of people in orange jumpsuits, and they're working, and there's another guy, and he has a gun right next to him. I said, I said the, and then the father says to the son, who do you see? What kind of parking lot do you have? Well, it's not a very big parking lot. I said, do you see anybody walking in? Yeah, I, I see a, a mom and a dad, or I see a brother and a sister. I see people walking in. And I, and the father said to his son, do you know what this place is? This is a prison. And the son's boy, the boy's eyes got really, really big. And the father turned to the son and he said, if you keep stealing, this is what's going to happen to you. That son didn't steal too much anymore. <laughs> I don't know who that story's about. Not really sure, but um, this is what we come to in the text this morning. Actions have consequences. This is what we try to teach our children from a young age. Maybe not in that dramatic of a form, but we try to teach and instill in our children that actions have consequences. That you reap what you sow. In today's text, this is a central truth that rings loud and clear. You see, when we choose to do life on our own terms, sin will alienate us from all kinds of things. You know, we've been in this study in Genesis. Turn in your Bibles, right, if you don't mind, to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And we'll see this story. You, many of you know this story, the story of Cain and Abel, the story how Cain kills Abel. And what often happens when we come to a text like this, we say, well, Cain did something really bad. He, he murdered his brother, and so we disconnect from a text like this. But what I want to show you this morning is that sin alienates us like it alienated Cain. Remember what Jesus said? Lest we forget what, how Jesus defined even murder. You've heard it said that you shall not commit murder or adultery, but I say to you, if you have hatred or anger in your heart, you've murdered 
and you've committed adultery, right? And so Jesus redefines this for us. And so this morning, I want to look at how sin alienates. This is a really bleak message. I don't really have a feel-good message for you. There's some glimmers of hope in this text, but this is just the raw version of what sin does in our lives if we let it. This is the raw version of how sin can take over and alienate us from all kinds of things, and we'll look at five of those things. We'll look at five things that are alienated because of our sin. And what we've been looking at in the book of Genesis is this beautiful creation that God um, made for, his, for us, his highest of his creation. He made us in his image. And what we found even the first week in Genesis 1 We found that we flourish when we follow God's loving rule. When we follow God's loving rule, we flourish. And there is blessing as opposed to cursing, but we know where we've been. We're in Genesis 4, so we've gone through Genesis 3. We see Adam and Eve go their own way. We see them choose to live on their own terms. We see Satan, the serpent of old, come and tempt them, and they give in to their desire. And so we see in Genesis 3, last week, we saw that the consequences of that sin and yet the hope, right? We, we, there's this hope, even in their sin, of a redeemer to come, the seed of a woman to come. And we're going to see two types of offsprings from here forward. We're going to see the offspring of God and the offspring of the serpent. And so you come to Genesis chapter four. Let me read it. We're gonna do it a little bit different this morning. I'm gonna read it and then I'm just gonna walk through it and give you some general observations of the text. And then I'm gonna show you different ways in which sin alienates us. Because as much as maybe there's no one in the room here this morning that's ever committed murder, premeditated murder on someone. See, the way of Cain is very present in your life and in my life that I choose, like you choose, to live on my own terms. I can choose when I leave here today to live on my own terms, and we're gonna look at where that gets us. So Genesis chapter four, verses one through 16. Listen to God's word here. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offspring, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry, and why, have, why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to, do, to you or for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field... Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying for me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to to you strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great. It's more great that I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. And from your face I shall be hidden. 
And I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You see two sons of Adam and Eve. You see two vocations. You see two offerings, and you see two ways to live. Do we choose to live the life of faith of Abel, that Hebrews 11 tells us about Abel, a life of faith, do we take God at his word or will we live the way, Jude 11, will we go the way of Cain and live in unbelief? That's what this text is all about. But look at it, let's go back and look at it just particularly. Um, as we come to chapter four, what do we know? We know um, that God has promised a future seed, right, of the woman. And so Adam and Eve, knew, look at the first verse there and in, in chapter four, and you see Adam knew his wife Eve, they conceived. So multiply and fill the earth. This is happening. So the first two sons, Adam and Eve, um, have or Cain. The name Cain means acquisition. It's a really interesting name. More interestingly, though, the second son, Abel, his name means vanity. I don't know what's going on here, but I wonder. I wonder if Adam and Eve are thinking, okay, the promised one to come is going to be Cain. And so they call him the acquisition because maybe this is the one, this is the way we look, right? We look, forward, we look forward to Christ's coming. People in the Bible looked forward to his first coming and his second coming. But here, Adam and Eve perhaps are looking and saying, maybe this is the one. Help, help. I've been wrong a bunch of times as a parent. My kids are back there. They can hear that. I've been wrong a bunch of times, but I don't know in the history of parenting if anybody has been so wrong about the future of their child, right? Then Cain here, acquisition, Abel. But they're longing. They're looking, I think. I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And she bore his brother Abel, which means vanity. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep. So you see it, the vocation. So there's sheep that Abel is tending to. And Cain was a worker of the ground. These are their vocations. I need some light. It's hard. I get over here and there's no light. And I get over here and there's light. I can't move around. Um, and in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit to the ground. There's a lot of pages that have been spilt over this deal. What did he bring from the ground? Why did God not accept this offering? But here you see Cain bringing something from what he does, from his vocation. And if you look in the Old Testament, I think sometimes commentators get it wrong. There, there are offerings in the Old Testament that come from the ground. Um, there are surely sacrifices like sheep and, and, and that are killed over this. But you see offerings in the Old Testament from the ground. And so I don't think it was what he brought um, was the problem. And then you see this. Um, Abel, he's also bringing an offering, the firstborn, but there's more detail here. Do you see it? In verse four, the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. So he's bringing his best. We don't see if, if Cain is bringing his best or not, but he's bringing the first fruits, the best of what he's got. And later on in the Old Testament, this is what you see, that God wanted more than the sacrifice, right? He wanted more than the offering. He wanted their hearts, he wanted them to bring their best before him. And this is what you see in the New Testament with the offerings, the financial offerings even we give. This is our first fruits that we ought to give out of our first fruits. That Jesus himself, the sacrifice, was the first fruits. And then you see in the book of Hebrews, 
Here's what we know about this. This is where cross-referencing is really important in the Bible. It's really important because we find out more information about Cain and Abel in other places. I've given you some, some verses there on the bottom of your sheet where, where you can learn this. But Abel's sacrifice was offered in faith. That's what Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, says that it was offered in faith. And in the New Testament, we also see Cain looks pretty rough, that he has his heart set on evil. He wants to live in his own terms, in his own way. And so I think what's happening here is that Cain just brings whatever he decides he wants to bring. He brings not his first fruits, but he just brings some of his stuff on his terms. Notice this is worship. Offering is worship, that Abel is bringing the best to worship, and Cain is bringing his leftovers. That's what I think you see here. And so this is the way of Cain. He does things his way. He's the captain of his own ship, the way of Cain. And keep reading, look at it. And so what, what's, what's Cain's response to God? Because God doesn't receive his, sacri- or his offering in the same way. Look at what it says. So Cain was very angry. First of all, Cain was angry at who? He was angry at God. He was angry at God because he didn't take what he had offered on his own terms. And then he turned to his brother, whose offering was accepted in envy and bitterness, and he was angry with his brother. And the Lord said to Cain, look at the mercy of God here. He knows where Cain's going. He knows where his heart is. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? You ever see your kid when they're upset about something? They're mad and then they do this. Their countenance has fallen. He's really mad and God comes to him and says, what are you doing? I know where your heart is going. And then he says in verse seven, if you do well, will it not be accepted? So there's something not well about his offering. And if you do not do well, what? Sin is crouching at your door. A little later in Genesis, what you see is this picture of this lion that is crouching at your door. That's a great depiction of what sin and its desire does in our lives. You think about the book of James, which we studied a little bit um, from the last text with Adam and Eve. How does sin work, right? When we're enticed and lured away with desire, and then desire conceives, and what happens when desire conceives? It results in sin, which leads to death. That's James 1, 13. And so this is what you're seeing in Cain's heart. You see the progression from coming on his own terms, bringing something, God not regarding it, sin welling up in his heart. Its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Don't let sin be your companion, Cain. Run from it. And then verse eight, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. I wonder what that conversation was like. You don't get it in the narrative text, do you? You don't get all the, all the conversation. You want to know what that conversation was like. And when they were in the field, Cain murders him. This is the first murder in the Bible. This is the first time you see death and the murdering of a human being made in the image of God. And then God says to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? You know, God doesn't ask questions to get information. He's omniscient, right? He's not asking to get information from Cain. He wants to hear what? Just like Adam and Eve, what does he want to hear? He wants to hear confession. Do you see how gracious God and merciful God is before and after sin? Uh, um, The sin of murder. 
He wants confession and repentance. This is what he wants. And then the Lord God said to Cain, where's Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He lies. He knows exactly where his brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't have, I'm not responsible for my brother. Listen, this is the only family. This is the on, these are the only people on the earth. Do you see what autonomy does? The lie of autonomy? I'm thinking about me. I'm the only one that matters. That brings freedom, really? Does it really bring freedom? Does autonomy in your life or my life really bring freedom? It doesn't. It brings those chains. And this is what the result is going to be for Cain. So he takes no response. He lies and he takes no responsibility. And the the answer to his question is really yes. In this text, like seven times, six to seven times, you see the word brother is stressed. This is not some random person. This is your brother six times. And the Lord said, What have you done? He knows what he's done. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God knows. God knows our sin. It shall no longer yield its strength. And so remember, what was Cain's job? He was the tiller of the ground. And so what what is God's consequence to him? And by the way, this is the first time you see a curse in all the Bible put on a person. See, Adam and Eve, they weren't cursed. The ground was cursed. Things around them were cursed. This is the first curse you see on a human being in the Bible. And it's opened up their mouth to receive your brother's blood. When you work from the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Actions have consequences. We reap what we sow. And you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. All he's got is his family. And now he doesn't. You know, when you think about your work, we often wrap our identity up in our work, but in a very real way, God has created work that is good for you and for me. In the garden, they worked and they cultivated it, and then the ground was cursed and it was going to be harder, but here God takes it a step further and the consequences for Cain to say, hey, this is part of your identity. This is what I've given you to do. This is how you provide for your family, but now you can't. This is a consequence, a real consequence for his sin. And Cain said to the Lord, who's he thinking about? Look at it, verse 13. My punishment is, is greater than I can bear. Is he has, he has he confessed? Is he thinking about what he did to his brother and his family and what he's done to alienate himself from God? No, he's thinking about his own punishment and the consequence that he's been given more than he's thinking about repentance. This is unbelief. Behold, you've driven me out today from the ground. I'll be hidden, a fugitive. And look at God's mercy. Even in verse 15, after Cain kills his brother, who's made in the image of God, what does he say? Somebody will kill me. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, not so. God's even going to protect Cain through this. He's going to protect him. He's going to put a mark on him and protect him. I don't know what that mark is. If you know, let me know. We all wonder what the mark of Cain is. It had to be something outward and physical for people to see, I think. But the point is, is he gave him that mark in his mercy that no one would would take his life. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. You know, he was supposed to be a wanderer and a vagrant, and it says he settled. You see this eastward movement of settling apart from God all the way through Genesis. And he settles in the land of Nod. The land of wanderers, the land of fugitives. That's what the name Nod means. 
Well, let me give you these five things that happened as a result of Cain pursuing his own way on his own terms because I think whether we can associate with Cain and his murder of his brother or not, there are things that sin does to alienate us. And I want to give you these things. It alienates us first from our own integrity. That's what you see with Cain. You see him having two choices, to do well or not do well. And you see sin crouching at his door, and he commits this murder of his brother. And it's not random. He's angry at God. See, what happens when we're angry at God is that we take it out on other people. And this is what he does. If I say the name O.J. Simpson, you don't now think of O.J. Simpson and his Heisman Trophy and his national championship and his five-time Pro Bowl selectee his broadcasting career. How do you think of O.J. Simpson? The alleged murderer, convicted felon. That's how he's known. He lost his integrity. Cain loses, maybe the understatement of this whole sermon, Cain loses his integrity because of what he did. I won't bring up the Houston Astros, World Series, all that. And integrity, whatever your take on that is, but you think about people differently when their integrity has been shot. The Bible says a good name is more desired than gold and precious silver. How's your name? What do people think of your name? Not in a way where, like, not in a self-driven way. What do people think about your way? But what do people think about your name? And you may not be a murderer. I may not be a murderer, but where do I choose to live on my own terms? Man, taxes are coming. Are you filling out your taxes right now? The temptation is to do what with your integrity? Is to cheat. What does that look like in your life right now? What are areas in which sin is crouching at your door? And it wants, and its desire is to be your companion. What happens as a result of that, if you give in to the enticement and the allure of sin, is that you lose your integrity See, sin can alienate us from our integrity. But does God show up? And that's what the beauty of what you see. Before Cain murders his brother, God is there. You know, the New Testament says it this way. It says, no temptation has seized you, which is common to man. But God is faithful. And with the temptation, he will give you a way of escape. Do you see it here? God gives Cain, before he murders his brother, a way of escape. But what's more amazing even than that is after he murders his brother, what do you see? He shows back up. You know, the Bible, in three chapters later, you see capital punishment. And the reason capital punishment was legit in the Old Testament and New Testament is because you and I are made in the image of God. And your life matters and my life matters. And so Genesis chapter 9 outlines this. It says, if you take... A man's, if you shed a man's blood, your blood will be shed because you're made in the likeness of God. And in the Old Testament law, you see it. And even Romans 13 says it's the government's role to take the sword. But here, God gives him opportunity even after he's murdered his brother. Do you want to extend that to somebody? I don't. I want justice and yet 1 John 1, 9 says we confess our sin. He's faithful to forgive us of our sin. That doesn't eliminate consequence. I'm not saying that. God is just. But look at how merciful God is in this text to Cain before and to Cain 
after he commits murder. And, but look at Cain's response. This is kind of shocking. Cain's hard-hearted response is what? I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. Yeah, you do. Am I my brother's keeper? He has no concern. He is hard-hearted. This is why the New Testament says he had an evil heart given over to Satan. And so you've seen, you see in this text Cain's hard-heartedness. You see, living on our own terms not only alienates us from our integrity, it alienates us from our opportunity to turn back and repent. You see how hard-hearted Cain's heart is toward God and toward his brother and toward his family, but he doesn't want to deal with the consequences. And yet God is merciful. You know, when we live on our own terms, we're alienated from opportunity that God gives us to turn back to him for repentance and restoration. And this is the beauty, but the beauty of the gospel is, is that the good news of the gospel is whether whatever you've done, God can restore you through his son Jesus who was killed on a cross for your sin and for my sin. That's the beauty. And if you're a believer in Christ, the Bible says that sin is deceitful. It says that sin hardens our hearts. And one of the solutions that the Bible gives for that is for us to live in community, that we can see our brother or sister's sin, that we could say, hey, think about the way that you're going. Sin is crouching at your door. The book of Hebrews chapter three outlines this. We need people in our life every day because of the hardness and deceitfulness of sin. So I would encourage you if you're disconnected from the life of community and maybe your thought is, I'm just gonna come to church and I'm not gonna be connected to other believers. The New Testament says, no, you need other people. You need other people to walk with you, to care for you, to encourage you. And so, we miss God's gracious opportunity if we're living on our own terms. We lose out on integrity. Do you see the progression? It gets worse. Sorry, I got some, more, I got some bad news before I get to the good. Um, but it also does this. It alienated Cain from his own vocation. Do you see it? Verse 10 through 12. Look at what happens. See, work is good, but the idea of vocation is literally in Latin the idea of calling and God's calling in our vocations is that we yield God glory with our work, and Cain misses out on that. See, his work is affected. He can't till the ground anymore. He can't even take care of his family because of his sin. Now, you guys seen the, the movie, The Glass Castle? Or, or better yet, read the book. My wife says the book is way better and more accurate. And so, The Glass Castle, and she's given me descriptions of this. She's like my Goodreads and she reads books, and I get the synopsis of these, these different books. But The Glass Castle, it, it retells the true story, the true story of this really crazy family that wandered and, and moved to place to place. And there was this father of this family who was brilliant, and he taught his kids how to read, and he taught um, his kids all kinds of things because he was a brilliant man. And when they were in school here and there, the kids knew more than the kids that had been in class in first grade, second grade, than, than any other kids because the mom and dad were brilliant and yet the dad was a drunk and he couldn't keep a job because he couldn't submit to authority. He couldn't play in the sandbox with other people. It had to be his way on his terms. And so this family would move from place to place, would 
live in abandoned places, basically no money. And it makes me think of the result of what Cain did. He, he lived on his own terms. And so it alienated him in his vocation and he couldn't even take care of his family. See, our sense of identity and purpose and means to provide for our family can be taken because of the consequences of sins. This, this is how grave sin can get in our lives if we let it. Now, what does it look like in your vocation? I want you to think about how your own sin has affected your own work and what that effect has been on your own family. Maybe it's not to this extent, like the idea of murder, but sin can affect your livelihood. It can affect your vocation. It can affect your family. And this is the message that God is sending Cain. There are consequences for your actions, Cain. And look at verse 13 and 14. There's something else. Living on our own terms not only affects our vocation and our opportunity and our integrity. Look at how deep this is getting. It can alienate us from those closest to us. See, God sent him away. And it alienated from his own family. These are the only people on the planet. So he's alone. He's completely alone. And this is why I think he's saying my punishment is too great. Because I can't be near my family. And even if I were, they probably want to kill me because I kill my brother. So it alienates him from those closest to him. Living life on our own terms alienates us from the people that are dear to us. And I don't think in my own life as I think about preaching this and thinking about the application of this in my own life, and your life, you know the effects. And I know the effects of sin in my own life and in my own relationships when I choose to live on my own terms and the harm that I bring those close to me and how relationships are fractured. Maybe you can think of relationships in your own life that are fractured because of your own sin as a consequence. And so whether it's friendship, whether it's family, whether it's marriage, this is real stuff. This is not some just pastor applying. This is real stuff in my life that I have to think through and real stuff in your life. That sin can, if we let it, alienate us from the very people we love the most. Is there any good news here? There is. <laughs> One more though. Sin also alienates us, most importantly, from God himself. Look at verse 16. At the end of this passage, Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord. We, we sang about God's presence just a little bit ago and how it brings us strength. And when you look through the Bible, the, the idea of God's presence is so important. It's so important to David. It's so important to the Old Testament writers and New Testament writers. But the taking away of God's presence... See, these other things are real tangible. The other people in our life that are affected, our vocation, our integrity, those are very tangible things. But the worst of these is that Cain loses. He loses out on the presence of God. The presence of God goes away from him. Do you see that as the worst possible consequence of your sin? Do I see that as the worst possible consequence of my sin? I often think of the actual tangible consequences of being found out or being 
things happening in my life as a result of it, but this is the worst consequences. It alienates Cain from God himself. You see, God was present in the garden, right? He was walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He was there. And then sin separated him from Adam and Eve. And here are the consequences of this continuing to multiply and grow. Remember David and Bathsheba and Uriah? You know, when I think about his adultery, when I think about the murder of Uriah, um, man, there are a lot of consequences that David had to deal with because of that. As a nation, his sin. But it's interesting when you go to Psalm 51 and he's crying out to God, what does he say? Yes, he sinned against Uriah. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he sinned against the nation. But what does he say? God, you alone have I sinned against. So ultimately, all of our sin is an affront to God. Ultimately, all of our sin alienates us from him. This is what David is saying. It's not that he hasn't sinned against Uriah. It's not that he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba and the nation. But ultimately, this is what our sin comes back to. It comes back to not living under God's loving rule that allows us to flourish. And this is what happens. But the good news is this. There's really a question, there's a number of questions in this text you could ask um, that I haven't answered, but there's one that um, I really haven't answered. And I want to end on this. Why doesn't God judge Cain more harshly? Some of us are in the room thinking, man, Cain had a lot of consequences. But the dude got to live, right? He got to, be, he got to live and he got to go on and God even protected him. And so for some of you in this room, for some of us in this room, um, we go, this isn't just. God is way too merciful to Cain. He's way too gracious to Cain. He lets him live, first of all. And the rest of the Bible says murder can be judged with capital punishment. He lets him live. And not only that, he protects him. From vengeance, which is due Abel. Abel gets a raw end of the stick, no pun intended, right? Some of you think that in this room, and there's a sense in which God is the one who enacts vengeance, not you and me. But why wasn't the punishment harder for Cain? He lived. He got to go to Nod. He got to continue on. Man, he was protected. God keeps him alive. God shows him mercy all the way through this text in spite of his continual unbelief. You know, he spared him in his sin. Maybe he spared him. I don't know. The New Testament has some pretty rough things to say with Cain. I don't know what ended up happening to Cain for sure. But perhaps, perhaps because God is patient And because God is long-suffering, perhaps God is continuing to give Cain the opportunity to repent and to turn back to him. I don't know the answer to that. But perhaps God is doing that. And if that rubs you the wrong way, I want you to think about your own testimony. I came to faith at 21, and I praise God every day that he didn't take me out from 20 back because he would have been just to do so. But God is a merciful, gracious God. 2 Peter 3.9 says it this way. God is patient with us because he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
to which we might say, no way, Cain deserves this. But here's the thing. If you think about the vengeance or the retribution that ought to have been had with Abel, if you think Abel got the raw end of the stick, God is the one who is just, and he takes care of this. He surely gives Cain consequences. But only God enacts vengeance. And perhaps Cain didn't turn. Perhaps he didn't. And he would get what was coming to him. I'm glad I don't get what's coming to me. Hebrews 12, 24 says this about the new covenant, about Jesus and what Jesus offers. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cries out for vengeance, rightfully so. But the blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness. Aren't you glad? You see, God is just. He is certainly just. And the Bible says that God will not leave the guilty unpunished. But the next phrase in Exodus says that he is loving. He is a loving God. He is a kind God. He's a merciful God. Your takeaway today is this. Sin surely alienates, but God restores. But God restores. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, I don't know Christ, but I've got to come and clean myself up because I've, I'm kind of like Cain. I've lived my whole life in the way of Cain. And maybe I haven't murdered somebody and hurt somebody that deeply, but I've got to clean myself up before I can come to God, before I can come to Christ and what he's done for me on a cross. I've just got to clean myself up. I don't know if that's where you are. That's where I was when confronted with the gospel. That's great, but I've got to clean myself up. And then in a couple of months, when I pray enough and I come to church enough and I don't sin enough, then I can come. And you know what? That never happened because I kept sinning. And I never got to where I thought I needed to get. There's a song we sing that goes like this. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. We don't come to Christ on our merit. There's nothing that we can bring. There's nothing you can bring and there's nothing I can bring. Come to Christ. He died on a cross to forgive you of your sin, to make it right with God. And maybe you're here and you already know that message and you believe that message but you're sitting here saying something different. You're saying, I know that message. I have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, and yet I st still keep falling here, here, and here, over and over and over, that I'm addicted to this sin or that sin. And listen, Satan, the, one, the serpent, the one in the garden who tempted Adam and Eve is, is the same one as believers in Christ will convince you continually convince you that you can't come back, that you can't come to God for restoration and renewal because of your sin and your shame. And the gospel says something very different to you as well, that you can come to Christ because he will continue to restore. Just like Cain, God pursued him before and after his sin. God can care for you and draw you back. Do you believe that? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for Jesus who, because his body was broken and his blood was shed, that he offers us a better way. So Lord, I pray for one that might not know you here this morning, that they would come to Christ, believing Christ is the only one who can forgive them.
the only one that can make them right with you. And Lord, I pray for those that, many of those in the room that know you. Lord, make us a people who confess quickly. Make us a people who maybe even in our alienation and continued alienation would use this morning to be reminded that Christ has lavished his grace upon us, grace upon grace, that we might come back and be rid of our sin and our shame and our guilt because Christ has redeemed us and made us right with the Father. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts in a hard, hard text this morning. And I pray that it would be a warning as well. It would be a warning that going our own way and living life on our own terms, whether little or big in our lives, that it alienates us. It alienates us from you. It alienates us from relationship. It alienates us in our lives. So Lord, we pray that you would do a work by your spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.